Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. And thank you. That's the voice of Dick Warren welcoming you to another edition of The Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. Here as I am every week with my, what would you call, uh, what would you call yourself? My partner, my better half, my sidekick, my comedic relief, Alex Caranovo. I was thinking a knight. I, I feel like a, a knight. I'm your, I'm like a knight. I save you. I'm here to rescue <laughs> you from the evil that, that the world throws at you. I've been relating to myself as the dragon, but actually I'm the uh, person in distress. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, well, think, you know, the dragon is probably very hurt inside and very wounded, has a lot of trauma. It's expressed with rage. Yeah. <laughs> so I had no idea you had so much compassion for the art, uh, mythological creatures of the world. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. That's a great coaching quality. You know, compassion. That's what they tell me anyway. Um, anything you want to share with the class? How's your week been? What you been up to that you can tell us about? Uh, what do I have for you? I got some, you know, the, 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 your love adventure. Yes. That, that we've been talking about here and there on these shows. So we had three women, right. That, that went on this, ad, that are, are essentially replicating my Tulum dating experiment, but you know, doing not all together with, individually, right. Individually. Three different women. Different yeah. So with Evan and I, so we we're coaching them around their patterns and relationships, their habits. And then with, in partnership with them, we created, love adventures. They really created them with our guidance. All three women have men that they are excited about, that their friends are excited about. And two of the women have matches that they're going on trips with. The third, the third, her thing isn't finalized yet. So it's still in process, but two of the three have matches that they are excited about. That's extraordinary. Good job. I can't wait to hear what happens and how this crashes and burns terribly. <laughs> you know, right now we're like, we're, it feels like we're all, you know, we're onto something, right? Like if you're, you know, you were engaged, what, five, six, seven, eight, eleven, as many, well, you need more or less times than Bill Russell won championships. Um, I think I dated like none of, none of the audience knows. <laughs> right. They're like um, Bill Russell who, yeah. Also, but it's like you're, if you're European friends, audience. If your friends had been involved in your dating and they had been like yay or nay to these women, how many of those would you think you would have been gone that far with? I love that you think I have friends and the friends that I used to have, uh, you're right. There were a couple that predicted the crashing and burning of my relationships. But I want to remind us that we're not here to talk about my failures. Wait, I have Wendy Pressler on the line. She's here to... <laughs> Uh, we've got we've got um, an extraordinary guest to get to. So if you're just gonna uh, crow about this, it's it's actually very exciting. I think that everybody should know about this. Where can they go find more information? Yourloveadventure.com. My love adventure? Because I typed that in, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is like yourloveadventure.com. Your love adventure. You can find out. We're gonna be launching another one soon, but I think we're both we we're just excited, right? We just found this out. These women are excited, the men are excited. Um, a lot of excitement. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's excited. It's you know, there's in the in the world we're living in, it's like we got to find things I think to be excited about because we get a lot of yeah. news that is not worthy of being excited about. Yeah, and I know that last week we were together and we we started on a down note. So although there is much to be 
concerned about in the world. I'm excited uh, about our guest today, and we'll do our best to sort of not succumb to the um, topical downbeats of the world currently. Topical downbeats, by the way, was the name of my first album. Um, all right. You ready to dive in with our guest? Is there anything else you want the people to know? Is there anything you want to share? You know, I, I know that you do the like avoid and kind of, you know, ghost move, pretend you're not here. So uh, so at Accomplishment Coaching, we've got um, we've got a new uh, foundations course. It's just one weekend along with one month of coaching for uh, designed for people to, um, you know, it's a it's a lot to commit to a full coach training program. So we want people to have like the taster, the the powerful short version of it. And we're launching that this month. So people should go to accomplishmentcoaching.com. Say it again. That's awesome. Is it so would if somebody went through that and then they, you know, like I'm I'm look, I did accomplishment coaching and I loved it. So I would assume that it's going to be great. If I if somebody goes through the the one weekend and they love it. And then they're like, wait, I want more. Does it fuel, kind of fuel right in to if they wanted to do something bigger? Absolutely. And it's a great standalone too. So you know all those people who are providing leadership or coaching and sort of have skills but not really haven't done training, maybe read some books or did, you know, a couple of hours here or there. It's yeah, a nice stepping. Say it again. I know too many of them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or may have failed at something else and so called themselves a coach. Uh, but uh, so it's a great like foundations program for if you're interested in making a breakthrough difference, either in a coaching role or even in a leadership role. So I think it's great for those leaders that could use a little something, something, especially people maybe in tech who, um, you know, got there because of their technical prowess and may need a little buffing up of their social or soft skills. And, and likewise, just anybody in a leadership is it, role. Is it virtual or is it in person? Virtual. So you can be anywhere. Yeah. And we'll... Nice. We're launching it in uh, West Coast time zone, but we'll we'll have more available in the coming months. Anyway, you can find out all about that as well as uh, the, all the programs of our longtime sponsor of this program, Accomplishment Coaching, of which I am the CEO and founder, uh, by going to accomplishmentcoaching.com. And I thank you for asking, but let's get to our guest. So exciting. Go for it. All right. Uh, I don't know where to start. The, the qualifications, we should we should you and I should call him professor. He's a professor of economics, which is not a topic I did well in school in, by the way, a professor of economics and personal finance at the Open University. He also leads a coaching program for developing faculty academics. He's got coaching qualifications, including a level seven certificate in executive coaching and mentoring from the Institute of Leadership and Management, a certificate in coach mentoring supervision, and associate certified coach status with the International Coach Federation. Delighted to welcome to Mark Your Phone, Professor George Callahan, all the way from Edinburgh, Scotland. Am I saying that wrong? No, you're seeing it quite right. Yes, thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Alex. And thanks for inviting me on the show. And also just to, to commend all that you do in the coaching world. You're so kind. Thank you very much for being with us. I, um, I want to point out, as I said, I am not by nature an academic. My, my teachers would tell you this. And yet I know that there's a large segment of coach training that's at least allied with or in alliance with universities here in North America. And I'm eager to hear about the overlap of academics and coach training and development. What have you got for us? Yeah, great question, Christopher. Well, 
And the, the challenge that I think a lot of academics face is that they're brought into this line of work initially with a real love of the subject. And it just so happens that mine is economics, but it could be biology, psychology, or whatever. A real love of the subject. And yet something's happened to the job over the past couple of decades in the UK. And I actually, I actually think probably in America too. And that is a lot more pressure and intensification in, in the workload. So there's pressure to publish in three-star journals, four-star journals. There's pressure to win grants. There's pressure to get tremendous feedback from the students. And over that 10 or 20 years, a young academic with a PhD in their early 20s, by the time they get to their 40s, often they're burnt out, perhaps a little bit cynical, and the enthusiasm, the joy, and the love is kind of getting squeezed out of the role. What my coach training, the, the, the spark that came to me when, it, when I did this myself was, this is missing in academia. And coaching has got a tremendous amount to offer in the academic world. And that, that spurred me to seek funding inside my own faculty to begin what we call the coaching culture project. Well, you can't leave us hanging right there. You got to tell us what the <laughs> the coaching culture project is. Now you see, Alex, that was a great example of coaching because I was leaving a pause. <laughs> and in that pause, as you know, clients or coaches often have a little uh, time to think. And you going back to where Alex started with it, with the kind of the, the romantic side of coaching. My vision is to bring love back into the academic world. And in the coaching culture project that I'm leading, there's two aspects to that. One is a more practical aspect where we are offering academic managers and leaders elementary coach training. And they come out of that co coach training, they most likely couldn't run an entire one-to-one -one coaching session. But what they have is some coaching skills. So, you know, for example, they listen. And it kind of said, you might think, well, surely academics are, are used to listening. But part of that intense pressure of work means that often if, if, if an academic manager is sitting with, let's say, a junior lecturer, the temptation is to move into tell mode. It's quicker just to tell this person what to do, and then I'll get on with my next email, my next library reference, or whatever it would be. What coaching does is it invites them to actually pause, listen to what the coachy or what, what the, this isn't a coach-coachy relationship, to listen to what the young lecturer might be actually saying. And then, and this is the big one, to pass over the responsibility for deciding on what the next action is, to pass it to the young lecturer. So that's, it's, it's, that, it's, it's quite small, in a, it's a small step, but a huge impact. And that move, that move from tell to listen. So what you're doing is you're transferring agency, which is the capacity to decide for oneself. You're transferring that agency to where it really should belong. And that's with the individual. The coach skills training has the early evidence is that this has been transformational in some of these academic leaders most particularly if it's a difficult 
conversation, if it might be, you know, possibly someone's not been doing their job as they should. And often managers feel a little quite pressure. I need to solve this. But actually, if they then invite the coachee, what do you think should happen in, in this next situation? So there's the coach training bit, which has landed really well. The second bit, and this will be more familiar to you two as, as professional coaches, is an internal coaching structure. So if you had a lecturer and in the UK, one often starts as a lecturer grade and then the next step up is senior lecturer. So we offer career coaching for people who want to go from lecturer to senior lecturer. And in the UK, the next step is senior lecturer to professor. So that's a more traditional one-to-one -one coaching where you would you know, contract for coaching, you would set agreed outcomes and goals and so on. So, so it's a two, there's two prongs to this coaching culture project. And it's, it's quite novel inside UK academia. And the early feedback is tremendously positive. It's one of those, you know, often in life, you have, you have great ideas. And, and, and often out of every 10 individual great ideas, only one or two other people in the world might agree with them. This is one of those ones that's, and this is what has really energized me, is actually it's landed really well. And I think there's, there's a really good reason for that. And it's why I think coaching is so well suited to academia, is that people are often drawn to academia because they've got a passion that I mentioned. Their training, if you go through a PhD, your training is to be an independent thinker, to be a critical thinker, to perhaps speak truth to power. Now, that then creates someone who does not fit that well into a hierarchical management structure because they're an independent thinker, because they're quite a free thinker. And so you've got these really independent thinkers that are then often shoehorned into a much more traditional management bureaucracy. And that can create, as you can imagine, tension and friction. Coaching offers a key to unlocking, to transforming that tension and friction into a space of potential kind of joy, love, and growth. I'm, you know, you said the that it's it's being like well received. I'm curious, what are the 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 first, I guess, the participants, the people that you're working with, what are they seeing? What are they telling you about their experience? What are they getting? Yeah. So again, thinking about the two aspects of that, the coach skills training. So that's where we are offering managers and leaders quite elementary coach skills. So that is that is non-judgment, active listening, inviting the client to come up with the next action steps. And the immediate, the immediate bit of feedback there is that it's taking pressure off of these people. So they're they're less stressed than they were. They do not feel as if they have to take responsibility for sorting out someone else's problems. So, you know, again, that is it's quite a common element of coaching in the academic space. It's quite novel, but it is it is eased up their mind and what they find. And this is a kind of a humbling aspect of coaching is, of course, often the person that they manage, they know what to do. <laughs> What, what, what they should do next, much better than the manager does. So not only does it, does it take the pressure off the leader, the outcome is more productive than if the leader or manager was in tail mode. So that's in the kind of skills bit. In the one-to-one -one coaching, 
the, the feedback is perhaps more familiar to the coaching world. So people would present with issues of low confidence, imposter syndrome. Maybe what is slightly different in the academic world is that these are people who usually are in the position of they've got the answers. <laughs> the students would come to them. So it, it, to be in a position of vulnerability takes, a, takes some bravery. Uh, this is only in the first six to nine months. So we're just really getting the first set of coaches going through that. But the early feedback, again, is really positive. That it's actually been quite transformational for, for people. And the big, the, the, we're inviting them to step out of that position of imposter syndrome, to recognize their strengths, to have the confidence to be judged by their peers in the kind of promotions meetings and go from lecturer to senior lecturer. Well, I've got a thousand million questions, uh, which is, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, the metric system. Um, so let's start with, first of all, let's congratulate you on making it through lecturer to senior lecturer to professor, the lofty position in the ivory tower. But uh, you've anticipated my question exactly when you talk about the role of many of these people at any stage is to be the smartest person in the room, right? To have answers, to have more experience and knowledge and wisdom and all the things that are supposed to be there with the academic approach. And yet coaching is seemingly op uh, opposite. Now you've navigated this because you you work in the areas of leadership coaching, financial coaching, coach supervision, as well as uh, financial wellness education, as well as being a full professor. So somehow you've managed to be both the smartest person in the room and the most open, receptive, and asking basic questions guy in the room. How are you? How are you able to impart this? And isn't it a challenge with these sort of newbies to the academic world, if you will? Yeah, another great question. I mean, one, as a coach, as I'm sure most coaches do, self-reflection is a tremendously positive aspect of coaching. And the, the coach project, it's actually been running for 24 months. And one of, when I self-reflect on what might I have done better, what, what sprung to mind is have more patience. And I think what one has to realise is that a lot of the academic culture has been built up, certainly in, in the UK and probably in the States too, over hundreds of years. <laughs> so you've got a culture, a, a kind of worldview that's quite solidified because it's taken a couple of hundred years. Um, you're then bringing coaching into this space. My initial passion, and when I had my kind of light bulb moment, I kind of thought everyone would get it immediately. And so my takeaway is one has to be patient. Change takes time. So to give you an example, when we first offered the coach training to an academic management and leadership group of about 130 people, um, here's this offer of coach training and the applicants sort of trickled in. So I was actually phoning up people and saying, I think you should go for this. We eventually got 10. They came through. It's about an eight-week program. They'd obviously, word of mouth, spoken to people, yes, this worked. We, we advertised the second cohort, and inside 48 hours, it had sold out. So the word of mouth had passed around that, yes, this is new, this is novel, but crucially for really busy people, this has given you skills that actually work. And those are the, 
you know, those are the kind of more the skills a mechanic might use. That you're not a full-blown coach, but you've got some absolutely vital coaching skills that, you know, when you reflect upon it, perhaps everyone in a management and leadership position should have these capabilities just to listen. Through that, through that. I'm I'm wondering though about the, the culture shift. I'm hearing a lot about the value and the the success of the program, which and congratulations for that. But can you speak more to how it is? I mean, it's it strikes me that it's a bit of a magic trick. You take these, if you will, people who trade on their knowledge and in a stodgy environment, theoretically, at least in the world of academics, as you said, hundreds of years of tradition. Um, and you bring them this notion of being vulnerable, not knowing the answer, you know, allowing the client to lead the session, active listening instead of active speaking about everything that they're trying to impart. Is there, I'm, I'm excited about it being so effective. I just want to hear like maybe a little, a little detail about what are you encountering in these sessions as, as you bring this to people? It strikes me, we probably could map it onto any organizational client, right? Yeah, I've been trying to think about what, what what's different. I mean, one, one, I wouldn't want to overly generalize, but what, what I found thus far is that the, the colleagues who are more eager to participate are, are, are women. <laughs> and I've kind of hypothesized, oh, why might that be? And what sprung to mind thus far is that perhaps, um, women are more willing to move into a space of vulnerability, to kind of accept that they don't have all the answers and that there might be something to learn. So part of my, part of my aim is to get more men involved in the programme. Um, and I, again, one has to be massively cautious of generalisations, but I, I, do th I do think that socialisation, evolution, uh, men tend to be less willing to place themselves in a space of vulnerability. Now, if you think about why is it beginning to work? Well, I think one important tool of coaching that, again, you know, Alex and you, Christopher, will be familiar with, certainly working with the ICF, is an element of contracting at the start of the session. And therefore, this is in the one-to-one -one coaching session. So especially in an internal coaching um, setup, where clearly ethics are quite an important issue, the contracting piece and the non-judgment piece is absolutely crucial. Where, where one has to work quite carefully is on that spectrum between coaching and mentoring. And of course, in, inside an organization, often the, the temptation is to put on the mentoring hat because you might know, oh, if you're going from lecturer to senior lecturer, promotion criteria for subsection C, you need to actually look at that bit. So some, some, you know, we actually do give our coaches the freedom inside the contracting space to say, look, from time to time, you know, I might actually put my, if it's okay with you, put my mentoring hat on and actually direct you to a specific piece of knowledge that would help in, in, in your goal or outcome. I'm, I'm curious what the, the not positive side of this is like what the, um, yeah. what the challenge that either the program or the participants, like what's the challenge that they're running up against aside from like, right. They're learning new skills. That's a challenge in itself. Yeah. Is there, is there any pushback 
aside again aside from the the men who don't want to who don't want to be in is there anybody pushing back to this saying like no we we need to you know do it the way it's always been done yeah and alex you know, in, in a sense this this, this is this is my project, this is my enthusiasm, this is my passion. So I have got a lot of skin in the game to say that um, there actually hasn't been much of a challenge, but, you know, hand on heart, actually, there hasn't been much of a challenge. This has landed incredibly well. So I'm inside um, quite a big faculty of the university, it's the Faculty of Art and Social Science. And um, my university, like many others, each faculty it's quite a silo-driven organisation. So although we're all in the same university, from time to time you think, maybe there's four or six universities here. But colleagues from other faculties who've heard about our project have been picking up the phone or the MS Teams link and getting in touch to find out more about this. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. My, my vision is to take this to other faculties inside the OU and then to begin to speak at conferences and workshops in the UK and actually, you know, without sounding too grandiose, <laughs> um, worldwide, because I actually think this is just a win-win for academia and for coaching. I was, I was, that was my next question too, when you, as you were going, as you, where you're going with that, the coaches that are listening, that have a passion, Christopher and I know coaches that have been, you know, former teachers, former administrators, people that really want to bring this so these, a lot of these coaches are in America or Canada, but specifically want to bring this back into education and they're feeling stuck or challenged. They don't know how, what, what advice can you give them or what direction can you provide? Yeah. I've actually written a paper, quite a practical paper. So it's, it's a short paper. It's a practical paper about my experiences of introducing this into a faculty. And, you know, there are some basics it, is, it will not be as a surprise to any any coach who thinks about it for half an hour or so. You need a champion. Um, it just so happened that, well, 
you need perhaps a champion in quite a senior leadership position. Now, a lot of the senior leaders in universities, often as part of their remuneration package, they're actually offered executive level coaching. So I immediately got buy-in from my senior leader that coaching is valuable. And that champion status, so I actually got this person to be interviewed by me, that was then shared amongst the faculty. Now, so that there was a buildup, then you need some resources. And those resources usually are financial because we had to pay an external coach training organization. And then there's time. So you, you, you need a culture, you, you need a, a senior champion, you then need a case study project that works, and then you need some resource funding. And with those, with those three in place, um, I, I, again, I think for the coaches listening, you know, coaches will, will want to do this because they have a passion for helping people transform their lives and grow and progress. But also for many coaches, this is their commercial business. And I'm absolutely convinced that there's an enormous commercial opportunity for coaches to be in this space in higher education. In the UK, if you are a, a, a head teacher in a high school, actually there's already a, a culture of head teachers being offered coaching. In the university space inside, univer inside UK universities, apart from the very, very senior executives, this is completely new. So, you know, this, this is a genuinely new area and an area that's absolutely jam-packed with, with opportunities. I'm not 100% sure that you're an economics professor. <laughs> you don't talk like any economics professor I've ever had or known of. I love this. Um, let's, let's pull the camera out for a bit. And uh, boy, I'm so excited about this opportunity that you've created and what you're up to. Sorry, I'm having a misbehaving animal, which is why I'm clicking in the background. Um, I want to talk about the uh, larger picture of academics. So in the US, at least, and North America, I think generally, we've got a, an explosion of, of students and an incredibly in, ever-increasing tuition for uh, university, college entrance. Is it the same in Europe? Is, are you experiencing the same thing over there? And if so, what's it doing to the labor market? Are more people jumping in or? Yeah, well, I, I opened the piece by talking about how how is the how has the job changed? And part of the part of the reason that people get burnt, again I'm generalizing, but often academics get to their mid-career, they're they're burnt out, <laughs> they're cynical, or at least when you speak to them in private, they're quite critical of, of the management. And part of the explanation for that is that we're taking more and more students in but there is not the same proportionate increase in the staffing. So, you know, what that means in, in the world of labor economics is that the job is becoming more intense. It's kind of labor intensification. So instead of perhaps marking, you know, 50 theses um, before the summer, you might be now invited or stroke told to, to mark 150. Um, Let, let's be very clear. You said theses, T-H-E-S-E-S, -E -E not anything that rhymes with that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, indeed. Uh, I did. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was using theses, you know, large pieces of work, pieces of students' work that are not easy to mark. 
That's so, just an amazing increase. Yeah. And same salary, same benefits like that, or are because of the increased pressure, are, are the universities or colleges doing anything to sort of alleviate that or ameliorate that? Yeah, they are. And different universities have different strategies. So, so some universities, for example, will, will bring in sessional teachers. So it could be doctoral students who are actually brought in to do some honours level or graduate level teaching. So there are, there are workarounds. And that teaching intensification is only one part of, of the picture. The other is that if you want to be promoted, you want to publish. I mean, people want to publish because of their passion. But there's instrumental drivers behind that publishing too. And then there's the driver to get grants. So actually, it's a much more competitive working environment than perhaps it that was, say, a generation ago. It's just astounding to me. Thanks for the thanks for the incredible work you're doing there, Alex. What have you got? I'm curious just about the how you see coaching impacting the environment overall in Europe. Um, you know, obviously there's. There's, there's global tension much closer to you than there is to us here in America. Um, we, have, we have our own tension right inside of our country, but global tension seems like it's, you know, America gets to be a little bit further away from that often. Um, do you see, is there anything that you can share about how you see coaching impacting that? Does coaching impact it? Is it, you know, going from co the coaches to academics and, and then shifting people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say, and again, I'm, I'm, I would need to acknowledge the listeners that we are talking big picture stuff here. Um, Feel I, free to generalize. You can use judgments. We're, you know, just get really outside of the box. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> I've got an academic habit of attaching caveats to my statements. <laughs> um, what I would say from a, a, almost a kind of a philosophical, the philosophical strength of coaching is that it invites the coachee to take responsibility for their next best action. And that, when you pause for a second, is so powerful and transformational. And what, what interests me, I actually ran a, a seminar about a month ago on staff development, and I invited the 20 or so people in the room, most of them who had doctorates, to say, what should be the next steps in your staff development? And almost to a person, they actually wanted to push that back and, and say, what, what, what does the system think? I.e., what do you, the boss, think that we should do next? So there's something about our working culture that squeezes the individuality and, and the pleasure of responsibility that, that a coach invites a coachee to take ownership of. And so that's, that's the big picture is that it's not, you know, to, to move away from tell, to listen, and then in partnership, take the next steps. And of course, as you you two guys will know, in working with coaches, that then releases tremendous, absolutely tremendous energy. I mean, often people have got so much more in them than they give to the employer. And, you know, people play all sorts of games inside their work to, you know, perhaps get around tasks. And academics are no different. You know, they can fill in timesheets. Everyone has got the potential to kind of get, play games with the system. But once you actually buy into 
the coach-coaches relationship and you take ownership for your actions, well, goodness gracious me, you're turbocharging that person's productivity. I love, oh, I love this so much. And I have the world's worst question to ask you. It's, it's bad because it, in so many ways, but um, <laughs> so my experience, as, as we've discussed, I run a coach training program here in, in North America. And in the years that I've done it, which is 20 some now, um, people have changed. The, the clientele, if you will, my customers mm -hmm. have changed. There used to be a real intention for people in coaching to give their gifts and make the world a better place. And it was very altruistic, you know, based on a strong personal desire to give back or make a difference in the world. And what I've seen now is that there's much more of a, I, I don't, I hate to use the word selfish, but self-oriented, you know, I want to have a free schedule and make money and, uh, you know, like those are the driving factors. So for me, there's been a real shift in the culture at large that impacts how I deliver and what I can deliver as a coach training person. I'm wondering if you would speak to that both in the academic environment and in your relatively shorter experience as a coach, what you're seeing there, or maybe this doesn't resonate at all. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an absolutely fascinating topic. And I, I think there's, there's no two ways about it. The societal pressure on on everyone, <laughs> and, I, and that most likely would include us three too, is to be instrumental, to put yourself first. That is, in a sense, that is the, the ideology that kind of Western capitalistic liberal democracies live within. Absolutely. But at the same time, if one takes issues like climate change, if one takes issues um, like the, the kind of the pandemic, there were many examples there of, of where people do get that we need to work together. So I think, you know, one can both be selfish and altruistic. There is a kind of para paradox there, that, but there is a potential for creative tension. Where I think in the academic world, we've got a structural advantage in that the lecturers that one coaches they are tremendously passionate about their subject. So in a sense, they want to be selfish and write and read about their subject, but they also want to be altruistic and share that love of subject with students and with the wider world. So overcoming that creative tension within the academic world, I, I, my experience, and my hunch is that that will actually be an easier task. Such an eloquent response. Thank you. Wait, I'm, before we move on from that, I'm curious because Christopher, mm -hmm. I think that's a great question that you said. I'm just curious how you look at it. Because what I what I heard as a, as a younger, newer coach, right? Not you know, eight years, almost eight years in. I relate to if I'm happier with my profession and my job, then I can actually do a better job. That if I'm simply, you know, who, who somebody said to me the other day, someone was reflected to me, they were like, I don't think someone like Mother Teresa necessarily had like the most enjoyable life, did so much good. And, and they said, you know, a lot of people that have made such a difference in the world, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, 
I don't think they like have the most enjoyable, happy lives. And right, we were not in their experience. We have no idea. But right, there's a lot of that they sacrificed a lot. That's why we look at them as heroes and honor them as they sacrifice so much of themselves for everyone else. Christopher, do you, I'm just curious because of that question, like, is there a both and, right? Where you can, where you could say, hey, I'm going into this profession because I want the, the schedule and I want it to feel the way I want it to feel. And I can do work that like changes the world and impacts people. You said Christopher, but did you mean George? No, no, I'm I asking you first because it was your question. Oh, and I felt well, I like, think- yeah. I think that's what we just heard from George's it, it, Professor Callahan. Forgive me uh, that that it has to be a both end, right? Yeah, that there is that, and it. You're, I love your uh, examples because what if, <laughs> what you know, uh, it's almost comical to think about what if Mother Teresa had like solid self care and was living the you know a great life or on a yacht every now and then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very different narrative. But I wonder if the difference made might have been enhanced or lessened or like that. It's a really great point. I think I'm eager to hear Professor Callahan's take on it. Yeah, Christopher. Look, Christopher's always deflecting. We never really get what he. <laughs> And, and now we cross over from coaching to psychotherapy. Are you, Paul, are you, Paul, I feel like Christopher is like, he's like, uh, I asked a question. He's like, don't make this political. I don't want to make it political. <laughs> Go ahead. He doesn't want to answer. We'll, we'll <laughs> Let the man talk, Alex. Yeah. I, well, I suppose my first response now, you know, with, with clients, the question is, what, what what standards should one hold oneself accountable to? Um, for myself, I, I, I would I would be um, probably reluctant to introduce figures like you know Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King into many coaching conversations because that could be a you know that is a standard that not many of us will be able to uh, meet. You know, I mean, what I would invite coaches to is nudge themselves forward a little bit <laughs> so wherever they you know wherever you are now how might you move yourself forward just a notch uh, in the next week or month and um, maybe in in five or ten years you might be in the foothills of mother Teresa world but you know for, for 95 percent of, of of humanity that's kind of be unlikely but most of us can certainly be a lot better tomorrow than we are today mm-hmm. and that would be my invitation to coaches is yeah, have these people as load stars. Um, but you know, because of course I, if coaches set set their goals too high, then the risk is that they actually get a little bit disempowered and actually they lose a bit of energy because they think I'm never gonna be like that. <laughs> but um let's just get them a little bit better and you know, help them make themselves better tomorrow than they are today. Do you, have, do you have a follow-up, Coach Terranova, or? No, I don't have a follow-up. I wanted to, I want to make sure we find out while we're kind of like in the midst of this, where, how people find out more, um, can people oh, nice. do these, pro- can people like sign up for your programs? How do people find out more about what you're up to? How do they get involved? Yeah, presently it's, 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 a, it's an internal offer, but again, if you guys do the show notes, I, I will make sure that, the, the the paper that's already been published, other academics, or indeed, you know, there's lessons in any organization. And when one tries to compare academia with other types of workforce, 
you know, that is types of workforce where, where the professionals have got a substantial degree of agency, then it's often the legal profession and often the medical profession. So if you compare academic studies, you know, the, 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 the professor's world has a lot in common with the doctor's world, the medical doctor's world, and the legal profession. And so if there are if there are coaches and listeners out there working in those two professions, they would most likely have a lot of familiarity with the paper that's been published. We are presently undergoing a quite a thorough evaluation of the project, and that work will be published both in the, in the higher education space and also in the coaching space. And people are all, if, if they've got queries or questions, they're more than welcome to email me at my university address, and I'm happy to, to pass it on to, to Christopher and, and yourself to put in the show notes too. Beautiful, then thank you for that. You don't know what kind of, you know, horrific responses you'll get from that in your, your <laughs> electronic mail. Um, I am, I, I, yeah. this is equally a naughty question at least. Is there some, you've, you've gotten a lot of academic credibility from this, from this and from the success of it. And you're able to generate some resources for yourself and, and this project. You're able to create some publishing from this. Is there any criticism that you've heard about people saying, oh, you're just doing this so that you can forward your own academic career or credentials, or maybe even to get out of it and pursue coaching full time? Have you have you gotten any kind of personal yeah. attacks? Well, I mean, um, no. But that's not to say. Well, let me be the first. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, again, all workplaces are, are 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 full of human beings, and one of you know one of, and human beings have got so many strengths. But um, you know, maybe one of the less attractive aspects of humanity is that we do gossip, and there is there is internal politics. So you know, I would be absolutely amazed if people weren't saying, um, you know, George is doing this, that, and the other, but. You know, I always talk about you know something that's, that Stephen Covey writes about is focus on your locus of control. You know, what what can I control? I can do the absolutely best I can with an area I'm passionate about. How people interpret that and what they do with my actions, well, really, that's that's up to them. And if there was any pushback, then if you know one of the one of the one of the many personal benefits of coaching is you tend to take things much, much less personally, is that you create a space and I would attempt, at least attempt, to stay curious and actually try and work out the topic might be personal criticism of me, but what is actually the underlying issue? Spoken like a true coach. Well done. Okay. <laughs> what do we not asked you what what do you want to share that we haven't you know broached with you yeah i suppose Alice, one of the surprises is if this works so well how come i've often the way to 2022 for it to actually kick off huh? um and you know that is a question i don't I, I i'm still pondering and it is possible that you know Decent academics, and I would like to think of myself as a decent academic, you do a literature survey before you publish, and I did actually do a survey of the literature, and there, 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 there's tiny pockets of other academics in, in parts of the world doing this and publishing, but 
but actually not that much. Now that could also reflect that when you think about how old is coaching as a profession, it's not really that old, 20 years, 25 years. So it might be the case that where coaching has permeated a lot of, or at least it's familiar in the private sector, it is only just becoming familiar in the public sector. And therefore, you know, the, the, the I was going to say magic, but um, the practical advantages and the transformational potential of coaching is just beginning to leach into the academic world. And I've got the great good fortune <laughs> to just be, you know, stepping up on that surfboard um, and, you know, catching the wave. Yeah, I, I can. I'm, I'm imagining how different my educational experience and so many students' educational experience would be if there was a coaching, you know, context or conversation happening behind the scenes. Right? It doesn't didn't need that. I as a child needed coaching, but if the teachers that I was, the professors or the high school or you know the younger year teachers, yeah. um, what yeah. difference that would have made. And again, Alex, that speaks to, you know, if you think about how deep can coaching go, you know, we do one-to-one client work. There's quite a history of life coaching. So that might be, say, you know, um, a meter or you guys, a a foot deep. Then you might think, well, there's employment coaching. Okay, that might take us 10, 50 feet deep. Then when you begin to realise that actually there's student coaching, that, you know, instead of the rushed feedback, maybe, you know, one in 10 essays, actually there's coaching feedback. And then you begin to realize that the depth of coaching in that space in education, well, that could be 100, 200 feet deep. So we are only just dipping our toes in in the water of what coaching can do in in the academic and educational space. Yeah, I mean, we've got got absolutely miles to go here. And and won't it get... Tougher. I, if I understand properly, you've been focusing on coaching the people at the lecturer level. But as you get to senior lecturer, again using your system, uh, and then professor, won't it be more challenging? The more entrenched people are in the existing, you know, their reputation, the work that they've done, all the things that uh, we come to think of as, you know, um, reputable in academia. Doesn't it become a little more challenging to introduce coaching to those folks? Well, um, my experience thus far is no. The next stage that I want I want to move on to is to offer new starts. So people who are just just starting as a lecturer, as part of their initial induction, you know, you get the usual stuff that you know that's where the cloakroom is, and you know, that's right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, you get six coaching hours. Beautiful. And that can that then is an invitation to new colleagues to ask what might be, you know, they might, they might think are daft questions. I've just got my PhD. I can't ask something that might appear stupid. <laughs> Coaching is an invitation. Here's a safe space with, with a trusted colleague who's also a coach. Ask your question. Beautiful. And that's, I, I heard that earlier as you were talking about the importance of the safe space for academics because of all the pressure. Yeah. Wow. I'm just, I'm, so delighted to get to talk to you about this. I'm so inspired by what you're doing. And I know that Alex asked you if there's um, anything that we should have asked or that you wanted to touch on. Let me ask you a a sort of a final question, if I may, which is, 
if you had something to give to a few thousand coaches today, if you wanted to have a parting thought or a parting shot today, what would you have us think about or take with us? Yeah, well, I would say, again, you know, self-reflection is a huge coaching skill. And I think when you're trying something new and if you were trying to bring coaching into an academic space and you initially get pushback because it's not been the culture, to have self-belief, to have patience, because once you've worked with clients on a one-to-one basis, you already know the transformational potential. And with patience, I'm absolutely convinced that it, we're, having, we're having a similar conversation in, in five years' time. This will be commonplace in the academic world. Truly a visionary. It's so great to be with you. Thanks, Alex. Alex. Thanks, Alex. Alex. Hey, no, I, I, don't, I don't have anything else. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, I, it's I, whenever we talk to somebody in who's in the academic world, you know, I have these, I wonder, yeah, as somebody who went to college and, and went through academia, but had no interest um, and like pretty much did it because I was supposed to, but now how, how into personal development and personal growth and coaching I am, like, I wonder what would have been different and maybe nothing, right? You go back and I wouldn't have been ready for it at that time, but I'm always curious, like if I had had that opportunity to go through and learn coaching as a college student, right? Or in university, um, the difference that would have made in my life. And maybe it would have been worse. Maybe I just would have taken that and used those powers for evil. Um, you know. Yeah. But within your we... life, yeah, it, it might have it might have given you permission to follow whatever your intellectual passion was. Sure. Yeah. Well, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> I want to let people know. Uh, Professor George Callahan is at the Open University. If you're interested in Open University, check them out. Go to open.ac.uk and find out more about Open University in the United Kingdom. He's a professor of economics and personal finance there and bringing coaching to academia. I cannot, I cannot imagine a more noble endeavor. And I'm so grateful for you and for your time to, with us today. Thank you. And I'm grateful to, to you two for taking the time and energy to put the show on and to have me on it too. Thank you so much. Of course, Alex Terranova, the author of Fictional Authenticity and proprietor of The Dream Mason. You can find him at thedreammason.com. And uh, I'm Christopher McAuliffe. You can find out more about me by going to ChristopherMcAuliffe.com if you can spell that. Or just go to Accomplishment Coaching, our longtime sponsor of this program. AccomplishmentCoaching.com, home of the world's finest coach training program soon available in Europe, by the way, a program this summer in Europe. So I'll have a reason to go over to Edinburgh and say hello. Um, thank you so much for being with us. And dear listener, each week we bring you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, pioneers in coaching, or just darn interesting folks. I thank you for listening. We are in our 21st year of providing this podcast to you. And I thank you for listening. We are grateful for your listenership. And as every week, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for being with us. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.